Welcome to the First Contact Headache and Primary Care Podcast. Every episode, we break down topics in headache medicine for primary care providers and other healthcare professionals seeing patients with headache disorders. The goal of the First Contact Headache and Primary Care Program is to provide educational resources to empower healthcare professionals and to improve headache and migraine care for patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Mia Minnan, a board-certified headache specialist and associate professor at NYU Langone Health. Migraine affects 39 million people in the United States, including children. In fact, 1 in 11 children live with migraine. We're going to spend this episode discussing pediatric migraine. Joining me today is Dr. Lauren Strauss. Hi, Dr. Strauss. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. Thank you for including this important topic in one of your podcasts. My name is Lauren Doyle Strauss, and I am also a board-certified headache specialist, and I'm a pediatric neurologist and an assistant professor at Wake Forest at Wake Forest Baptist Health. And I'm also a residency director involved in residency education. So we know that migraine affects kids and adults, but does migraine look the same in these populations? Yeah, the good news is that there is similar criteria in the international classification of headache disorders. The main difference I wanna draw your attention to is the minimum duration of an attack that is needed to meet that criteria. In children, it's two hours, in an adult, it's four hours. I think the biggest challenge is is that our young patients or patients with developmental disabilities have difficulty explaining their symptoms and explaining what they're experiencing. So our time is spent trying to see if they, they meet that criteria by taking a good history. Another point is that if a child goes to sleep, the time spent sleeping can count into that duration. The criteria does allow us to infer light and sound sensitivity to meet that required migraineous features in the classification. If they are needing to hide under covers or they're asking their siblings to be quiet, that can support that migraine diagnosis. So what should primary care providers look out for when treating a child who might have migraine and how can they appropriately make the diagnosis? It can be challenging. Migraines can be provoked by a viral illness and certainly uh, that can have associated nausea and vomiting. I come across migraine patients who have been thought to have frequent GI illnesses without fever and then we come to later realize that they in fact do have migraine. So I would ask children if they have headache when they're being seen in the office for potential GI illnesses and what the headache feels like and try to keep track of those instances so that you don't miss a diagnosis of migraine. And also if you can ask if there's a family history of migraine and that may raise your suspicion too. It can be challenging because when young patients have been experiencing symptoms for a while, you may encounter this where they may not report their symptoms because for them, they may perceive this as usual or normal because that's been occurring most of their life or in their recent memory. So I I come across this challenge where I have to specifically ask them about their neurologic symptoms, especially when we're trying to think if a patient has aura. So to tease out something like a sensory aura, I will ask them directly, you know, are you experiencing things like tickles or butterfly wing sensation or pins and needles? And sometimes the first time they report it is when I've asked and the parent didn't know. So I think it's important to ask those questions. And for visual aura, I'll ask, you know, do you see any colors, lights, sparkles, shapes, or flashes? So interesting. And I've heard that some colleagues have even asked patients to draw their headaches. Have you heard of that? Yes, I do use that trick. And I think that is an excellent way for patients who are 
as good with verbal communication to maybe show you visually what they're experiencing and they can demonstrate the location of their pain, what the pain feels like, and also what some of the neurologic symptoms are, especially what they see. Sometimes I even pull up Google images and show them examples of visual aura and if they can match what they're experiencing by seeing it. And I know there are even studies validated showing that the drawings can be really helpful with that diagnosis. So I guess moving on from diagnosis, can you give us an overview of migraine treatment options for children? We are lucky there are so many treatment options available for children. The first step, though, before getting to using a medication is determining if there are healthy habits that can be reinforced, such as regular sleep, and we want to have the same sleep during the week and on the weekends, avoiding extensive naps, eliminating caffeine, avoiding skip meals like that tricky breakfast, and encouraging exercise and activity. And I also do a screen to make sure that I'm addressing any stressors that may be occurring in the home or school settings. Once you've addressed healthy habits, then the next step is to determine if the headache frequency would warrant a daily preventative treatment. Do you think it's occurring more than four days a month? Are acute medications not providing the relief that you're hoping? And if you feel like it's at that severity level, the practice guideline update from the American Academy of Neurology and American Headache Society published in 2019 gave us some guidance that we know that propanolol is more likely than placebo to have at least a 50% reduction in headache frequency. So that's an option. We also know that uh, that children and adolescents are probably more likely than those receiving placebo to have a decrease in headache frequency with topiramate. And we do think that cognitive behavioral therapy is also an excellent option. Children who, um, children with migraine who received amitriptyline plus CBT are more likely than those receiving amitriptyline plus a headache education to have reduction in headache frequency. So I think CBT is a great option with no side effect that could be offered for our pediatric patients that might be very effective. Topiramate has FDA approval for use in adolescents with migraines. So if you have a family that is interested in which treatments have FDA approval, topiramate is an option for adolescents. So I know in adults, we have something called the Migraine Action Plan that's been published to try to help patients and providers better understand what their treatment plan should be. How could healthcare providers help school-age children manage their migraine when they aren't at home or with their parents? This is such an important question because you can spend a lot of time making the right diagnosis, picking the right medicines, but if the plan isn't able to be enacted in the school setting, the patient or your child that you're, you're caring for will still suffer. So I spent a lot of time during my visit making sure that they have the appropriate action plan in place and then to identify any barriers to implementing that plan in the school setting. The first step is, is going to be schools require forms and they have usually a medication administration form that needs to be filled out even for an over-the-counter medication. So it, even if it's acetaminophen or ibuprofen, it's important to fill out that form so that they can have access to that medicine. I fill out these forms quite often, and I've worked with our local school district to have a standardized form so that I can even give it at the time of my visit because I already know that they'll accept my form. So that's an option that some providers could look into working with their school district to minimize the different types of forms they may encounter. For the migraine action plan, this is another great option that you can partner with your patient at the time of the visit and fill out a form that guides them on when headaches need treatment and, and when they may need more urgent or emergent care. And this guide will have these really helpful colors. It's green, yellow, and red, making it visually apparent what the next step needs to be. 
PEDMAP sounds like such a great tool to not only help the child, but educate adults too around migraine. It's a great educational tool to incorporate in your visit. I would love to get to a certain point where the schools are even asking for a pediatric migraine action plan to be on file for all their children that carry a diagnosis of migraine. We do this uh, for our seizure patients, our asthma patients, and I think it is now time to start thinking of doing it for our migraine patients. How can primary care providers assist parents in this process? So together as a team, and I say that team, it's, it's the parents, it's the child, it's the school, and it's you as the treating doctor, we can all help children learn how to manage their migraine and live happy and healthy lives. I think it's important to have a letter that you can share with the school that includes the diagnosis, what symptoms you may expect with that diagnosis, and asking them to consider whether a 504 plan is appropriate, and also advocating for access to medications. Thank you, Dr. Strauss, for sharing all of that knowledge with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Listeners can find additional information and doctor-verified resources about treating migraine in children on the First Contact Headache and Primary Care website. Visit the site at AmericanHeadacheSociety.org slash primary care. This podcast is brought to you by the American Headache Society and made possible by Eli Lilly.